I'm lending to other people who are going to be 100% on their own, not involved with me, so that I'm not providing any direction, any involvement with the money. I want to make sure the IRS is happy and that there's no connection with myself and the borrower. This is Passive Wealth Strategies for Busy Professionals. Thank you for tuning in. Today, our guest is Enrique Jevons. Enrique is a real estate investor based in Washington State. He's a property manager. He's got all kinds of real estate knowledge to bring us today. And today we're talking about a couple of private lending strategies that he uses to generate passive income in some tax advantaged accounts that he utilizes. We get into some of the weeds here. He tells us about a bad situation that he's currently going through and maybe some lessons that we can learn from that. We're gonna bring him back on the show in the future when he's fully beyond that, but really you gotta listen to this one to learn about this tough time that we should all work to avoid. It's not all doom and gloom though. He brings us some positive lessons about how to find people to lend private money to, how to vet them, where to go, what to do, and how to get started. This is a fun interview. I really appreciate Enrique joining us and I appreciate you tuning in to listen to these lessons on private lending and tax advantaged accounts that basically anybody can use. They're great strategies. They do come with some caveats and you gotta know what you're doing to do it right. Today, we've got an expert telling us about his personal strategy for private lending in tax advantaged accounts, including self-directed IRAs and whole life insurance policies. I realized recently that most of the whole life insurance policy information that I've heard out there has come from folks that sell those policies. And I'm happy to be talking to someone who's not selling the policy today. He's an actual user. And that's really what we're seeking to learn from is the folks that are using these tax advantaged accounts and strategies and learn what they do. So without any further ado, here we go with Enrique Jevons. For those of you who don't know, I'm your host, Taylor Lode. I'm a real estate investor. I'm a real estate syndicator. I buy real estate with passive investors and split the returns. Really appreciate you tuning in today. Without any further ado, here we go with Enrique Jevons. Enrique, thank you for joining us today. Yeah, thanks. It's great to be here with you. Thanks. Great to talk with you. Before we dive into the topic we're going to talk about today, can you tell the listeners a bit about yourself, your experience, and what you do? Yeah, sure. Essentially, after getting a degree, I went into the hotel industry. That was what my goal originally was. And so I worked with Hyatt Hotels and Marriott Hotels. I worked my way all up to becoming general manager of Marriott Hotel. And I thought, oh, this is it. I've made it to the top. I was really excited to become general manager and everything. And then I, what I realized, uh, one of the things, a couple of things was I'm, I'm writing a check to the owner of the building, of the property every month. And so every month I'm looking at the check, I'm like, oh crap, I met him on uh, several occasions. I would meet quarterly with him and go over numbers and everything of, of how the, uh, the hotel's doing. And what I realized is, ah, oh, damn, I'm at the top of the wrong mountain. I don't, I don't want to be here. I want to be the <laughs> owner. I want to be the guy on the golf course who's, you know, has this passive wealth who just makes the investments and everybody else is doing all the work. I don't want to be the one who's doing all the work. So that was back in uh, 2006. I put together a business plan and everything of how I could go at it on, on my own. I uh, decided real estate investment was going to be the way to go. And so then in 2008, February 2008, the timing was just perfect. It was right like within the month, two months of the housing market starting to crash, where I was able to cash out on one rental property that we had, our single family home. 
that we had in the San Francisco Bay Area, cashed out, then moved to Washington State. The uh, very first purchase was a 13-unit apartment building, then immediately the very next month, an eight-unit, another eight-unit, and just kept going, going, going like that, buying, rehabbing, refinancing, uh, long before the, the Burr <laughs> you know, terminology came about. And, and it, it worked exceptionally well. So I jumped ship from, you know, having a, the W-2 paycheck and it's worked out incredibly well. Nice. And you got extensive real estate experience doing the Burr method before yep. Burr was codified or, you know, whatever you want to call it. Exactly. Yeah. Today, we wanted to discuss a few of the strategies that you've used, that you've been involved with lending from a self-directed IRA, and then, then mm -hmm. also lending to yourself from a life insurance policy. Let's dive into the self-directed IRA first and talk about your experience there and why that might be a good strategy to pursue. What I did was I started looking for various sources of income. So one of the things is I didn't want to become too dependent on just the rental properties that I owned. And so it was starting with the rental properties that I owned, that gave me the experience and then the legitimacy to start managing properties for others. So then I got my real estate license so that I could manage properties for others. That was the incentive there that worked out really well. So then I had two sources of income going. Then from there, I started looking at investing with others. And so initially, it was just straight cash loans to people, deed of trust type of uh, loans. Then about, I don't know, six, seven years ago, found out about self-directed IRAs right when they were coming out. And so then took the, the IRA money that I had from when I was in the hotel industry, that was a traditional IRA, also a Roth IRA, and then found a company that did the, uh, so I'm using equity trust now, using those guys to do the self-directed. And that's working out extremely well. So obviously with that, there's restrictions. You can't, you know, I can't take the, and purchase a rental property for myself and then have you know my own management company be working on it or my own handyman working on it. But but I, I do mostly use that for investing with others and, and other folks. And so that is definitely much more passive type of an income. So that becomes a third source of income for me. Then I also started learning about the whole life insurance, the whole infinite banking concept. So started learning about that about you know, a year and a half, two years ago, and started then with a whole life policy. And so that's been working out extremely well. It's not that it's a lot. I've put in $60,000, and then I've borrowed back about 40000 on it, the other twenty sitting in there. And it's interesting because it's all tax-free money that I can lend myself charge myself interest, put it back in, and keep borrowing from myself, all, again, tax-free. And so that seems to be working out well. Now, I'm just, like I said, a year and a half into that, so we'll see how it goes. But those have been, what I've been doing is just taking kind of micro-loans of $30,000, $40,000 loans to other investors. And then the interest that they pay me back is what goes back into the whole life policy and that money that I make back on them. So I charge, let's say 10% to interest. You know, if I loan 30, get back 33, that $3,000 is tax-free income because it goes back into the life insurance policy. So that's the reason behind 
doing it that way as opposed to just lending 30000 straight out of my checking account because then I would have to pay taxes on the interest that I had uh, charged and earned. So that's another source of income there. Additionally to that, then with the property management company, it, of course, repairs become then a thing. And I initially started with just only using outside vendors to do all the repairs and not marking it up any. But now what I've realized is um, I can start an additional business, a handyman business. And so now I've got a separate handyman business goes. Of course, I'm the primary client for that handyman business. But it, as soon as I got the license for it, I started getting calls from people that were just, <laughs> I hadn't even put together a website or anything, but just started getting calls from people somehow finding out and, and saying, hey, you know, we're looking for a handyman, right? Okay, well, I've got a handyman business. So that becomes an additional source of revenue. So they're all related. But what I've found is that just having the, the various sources of income, to me, makes it a little bit safer in case one of those revenue streams were to, you know, not do so well or, or fall away. And I never thought the rental properties could ever, uh, I've got over 100 rentals after taxes, after insurance, property taxes, all, all of that. So that brings me in about 20000 a month. And I thought, oh, that, that revenue stream would never go away. And then the virus hit. So I'm like, Holy crap, you know, what if nobody pays rent? I go, that's huge. Thank goodness I have these other sources of income. Now, fortunately, it was kind of like the Y2K bug of 2000 where, you know, everybody's anxious and nervous. And, and then it ended up being that uh, pretty much every tenant ended up paying on time and all. So I did not lose that revenue stream. But it did make me appreciate the fact that, you know what, I thank goodness I do have these other revenue streams just in case that one had fallen away. So that's something that I definitely, you know, try and talk about to folks a lot is, you know, don't just put, you know, all your eggs in one basket. And, you know, the whole concept of passive income, too, is it still takes some work. I kind of liken it to, like, if if you're going to do, let's say, a flip. And you, you say, you know, okay, I'm going to hire a general contractor and they're just going to do, you know, the property for me. Let's say you want to just, you know, redo your own house. Hire a general contractor. If you walk away, don't come back until they're 100% done. Chances are, you know, it's not going to be done exactly the way you wanted it. <laughs> you still have to be checking up on it. So even with, and, and the same with stock. So I still have stock as well, just so that I'm not sinking everything into real estate. So still have to check in and see how the stock market's doing. I still have to check in and make sure the tenants are paying. I still got to check in, make sure my handyman is billing for all the hours that he should be uh, billing for and make sure that the repairs are being done properly and that sort of thing. So there is still some oversight to the business, but I do try and think more about owning the business and not, you know, being so in the weeds managing, uh, you know, or, or operating day to day. It's still a bit of work, but it's at least um, I've been able to get away. It's not full days worth, worth of work. And so it's, uh, retirement nowadays for me is not like a specific day. It's just going to be one of these things where you start working maybe a little bit less, a little bit less, a little bit less, a little bit less as I'm able to depend on the, uh, the staff that I have a little bit more and a little bit more. 
I love it. I love it. So I wanted today to dig in a bit more to your couple of lending strategies that you're using. Mm -hmm. I realized recently that we've talked about the whole life insurance policy, infinite banking concept on the show before. I've gotten the pitch Mm -hmm. from those guys one-on-one, all of that. And I realized that I've never heard the client experience. I've just gotten the, yeah. the sales pitch. There's nothing wrong with sales pitches, but I need to learn from sure. somebody who's actually <laughs> yeah. doing it. Yeah. It was very bizarre or strange when it was first presented to me. And as a matter of fact, of course, the very first time it was that I heard about it and started speaking to somebody about it, it's like, ah, another insurance salesman. I don't want to talk to any more insurance salesman. <laughs> And of course, a lot of times they pawn themselves off as financial planners. Oh, I'm going to be your financial planner, but I make my money off of insurance sales. So it is a legit thing. It is working out well for me in the respect that I can charge interest to loan money to other people. And I can then, I can even loan to my own company is I don't have the same restrictions as the self-directed IRA. Self-directed IRA you, you cannot touch, you know, the money at all uh, yourself, but the whole life insurance, you actually can. But in any event, for myself, like I said, I'm just doing a whole bunch of small loans out to, to folks. And then the interest I make is tax-free, and that's working out well. Now, in the first seven years of the loan, there's a lot of fees that you pay in. and so. The first seven years of the uh, of the life insurance policy, there are premiums. So not all of the sixty thousand I put in year one, for example, went to be available to lend out. Of that, ended up being about like almost fourteen thousand dollars had to be left in, and a big chunk of that is going to fees and stuff for the insurance company. The rest is cash available to me at any time. And it generally takes me about three days to pull the money out. So I do have to go online and you fill out the form and then you set it up for ACH. They lend to you, money comes back to me first and then I lend it to the individual. So it's not too bad, it's pretty liquid, I would consider. Then with that, after the seventh year on my policy, then the policy, the earnings of the, the the policy is making, it's essentially, it's paying for itself at that point. So then all the money that I'm putting in really is 100% available to me. Essentially, the policy becomes paid up after the first uh, seven years. So of course, every insurance plan is going to be different, but that's how mm-hmm. my particular insurance plan is working out. So I do recommend, you know, talk to a few different whole life insurance policy folks. Now I have the regular term life insurance uh, that I've always had since you know early on. But but this particular whole life actually seems to be a good good way to get some tax free money. Okay. So you're lending out of the whole life insurance policy and you're mm-hmm. lending out of your self-directed IRA. Do you kind of think about those different lending strategies differently? Do you look for different people or projects or whatever to lend to out of those, you know, two different buckets? Or is that kind of just money that's available for you to lend with? Yeah, for me, it's that I'm lending to other people who are going to be 100% 
on their own, not involved with me, so that I'm not providing any direction, any involvement with the money. I want to make sure the IRS is happy and that there's no connection with myself and the borrower. I've had both negative and, and positive experiences <laughs> on, on the lending side. It's worked out really well. I've had now had my very first horrible mistake, which was with somebody who, you know, seemed very trustworthy and all, and it's not looking good to get the money back. And that was an equity position with a uh, flipper. And uh, now the just filed a couple of days ago with fraud uh, charge uh, against the guy because it looked like he's uh, using some of the money for his own personal expenses. So that's obviously a big no-no when it comes to syndication. And he is doing actual syndications. Oh, wow. I, I thought I had done all my due diligence, but unfortunately, that's going to be my first big, big mistake in 25 years of, of real estate uh, that I've been working on. So not, not too bad, but uh, yeah, but it still hurt. That's a pretty good track record. I'm going to assume maybe you can't get too deep into that on the air at this point. Yeah, it's, it's still in progress. So it, it was simply a um, person who, like I said, I'd met on several occasions at a couple of different meetups and in checking out both his references and checking out the, the company, everything looked legit, but it was a new company still. He'd come off being a real estate broker and a designated broker, just like myself, where he had his own firm. Oh, and by the way, that is another revenue stream that I have is, is I do have five licensees under my firm. And so they're also doing traditional sales and uh, representing buyers and sellers. And so I do then also have that as an additional uh, uh, you know, bit of uh, income coming in. So uh, he's doing the same thing that I'm doing as far as a real estate agency side of things. And, and so it just, you know, we connected, bonded well, and he said, oh, I'm going to flip. And I said, great, got some self-directed IRA money available. I'd be happy to invest in since I can't touch it. I'll let you do the flipping. And it, it didn't work out. So with that, you know, it, and it's a funny thing. I, I don't know how I could have done better. I should have done better. I got to still figure out a way to do better. So I don't know that I have a whole lot of great advice for folks. Certainly, my typical advice was always just like tenants, you got to do background checks. You got to do screenings. You can't just assume, oh, you're a really nice person. You look nice. Your family looks nice. Boy, you know, you were referred to me. Oh, great. Uh, you can be a tenant. Yeah, you got to do a background check to make sure that they don't have the criminal history, to make sure that their FICO score is good, that they actually repay their debts on time so that, uh, and that they're employed and that their rental history is all good. As Just as in hiring an employee, you've got 15 employees with employees, you know, you got to make sure that you do check up on, you know, their previous employment history, just because in that one hour meeting with them, you think that, wow, that's just amazing. Uh, I'm going to hire this person, but people can, you know, within a one hour meeting, make themselves look really good. <laughs> and I think that's kind of what happened to me is, is I just, yeah, somehow, you know, got burned. So I guess uh, I'll have to think of a way to, to better, you know, do background checks with uh, investments that I do. Interesting. Well, I'm definitely sorry to hear about that experience. And hopefully when you're on the other side of it, and have some hindsight, we can have you back on to Yeah, and of course, it's fresh in my mind. Like I say, just, this yeah. is just right now happening. 
Whereas in, in all the rest of the years, it's gone extremely well and all the loans have done have gone extremely well. Everybody's paid them back. And so that's worked out well. And uh, just like the occasional tenant that, you know, not every tenant is perfect. And so especially with, uh, I manage over 600 units altogether. So definitely there are times when they don't all work out great. But uh, thank goodness that for the most part, good 99% of the time they do. Otherwise, I would uh, have to get find another career. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so regarding, uh, so you said for your self-directed IRA mm-hmm. loans, you keep fairly, you keep it at a, at a very, very arm's length. You're not helping yeah. the folks manage those. For your life insurance loans, are you more willing to get like actively involved with those borrowers? Or you know, like- I, I legally could. Yeah, mm. I haven't. It's been just as easy for me to lend the money out in the very same manner with the self-directed IRAs. But, and so I've just chosen to do that, but I certainly could. If I wanted to just lend to myself, do a flip, that sort of thing, I certainly could do that. So uh, if, yeah, if you're trying to make a decision between the two, right, put some money into a self-directed IRA or put some money in whole life insurance, one of the benefits of whole life would be the fact that you could get a little closer to the uh, to the money than you can with the self-directed IRA. I suppose the other, the drawback would be that the, the life insurance uh, infant banking concept is upfront a little more costly than the fees that you pay for a because it's only four five hundred dollars a year I think that I'm paying for my self-directed IRA fees, so that's a lot less than paying for the insurance policy. Now the insurance policy, of course, has the other added benefit that you know if I kick the bucket, then I think it's a million and a half dollars to to start with that my family would get. So they would get a huge return uh, right away <laughs> <laughs> if that were to happen. Whereas my traditional IRA would just have the face value to the money that's there. So there are those pluses and minuses if you're trying to decide the, between the two, but they are two very good ways, I think, of using money passively to make investments. And they both have the tax-free advantages to them. So certainly, again, with the self-directed IRA, same thing. Is they lend the money out, bring the money all back into the IRA. All that money that I've made off of that project is all tax-free, just is not liquid, right? I, I can't pull all that money out of the self-directed IRA. And the same thing with the whole life policy. You, you know, it's not like you're looking to, the oh, you can just take the money back out and buy a boat and never pay it back. <laughs> you know, you, you don't want to go in with that, that way of thinking. You want to be thinking that this is money that you're socking away, but in socking away, you want to have it work for you, grow, grow tax-free is always certainly uh, a bonus. Absolutely. Absolutely. So we got an example of a situation with a loan that didn't work out for you. There are a couple of things I want to hit while we've got you is mm-hmm. the type of borrower or project that has generally been successful for you. Like, what do you look for? You mentioned a few things about how you check up on them. No strategy is foolproof. Eventually somebody's going to make it through some, you know, you're in the business yeah. long enough. Somebody's going to get you, unfortunately but you can mitigate that risk. So 
folks that you look for and things that you do to screen them and mitigate that risk? And then where do you find them? You know, how are you coming across Mm -hmm. them? Okay, so where I find them has been at local real estate meetup groups. So those have worked out extremely well for me. And now it's so easy because you can just go to meetup.com, type in real estate, and you are going to find guaranteed no matter where you live or or how far out in the boonies you live, there's going to be some real estate groups that you can join. Typically, they're all free. And so there's no worries about that sort of a thing. Join these real estate groups for a few reasons. Obviously, the networking, getting your name out there. And it's also just becomes easier and easier. Certainly, the first time going to a meetup group, it's always very nerve-wracking. You don't know anybody there. It's a very uncomfortable situation. But if you keep going back and back and back again, and pretty soon, everybody's super excited when you walk in the room. It's like everybody knows your name. And it becomes super easy. So for folks who feel like, oh, you know, I'm not that outgoing of an individual, that you just keep showing up. Even if the first time you only show up for 10 minutes, fine. Next time you show up for 15 minutes and then 20, you're going to start just becoming that familiar face. And then pretty soon you don't even have to walk up to anybody because they're all going to walk up to you because they're going to be excited to see you. They're going to be that familiar face for them. So the real estate groups, certainly online, Bigger Pockets Online was you know a place that I uh, found out about early on as well. And nowadays, oh my gosh, there's so many different Facebook groups, uh, Facebook real estate groups that you can belong to as well. I have found that, you know, the the online groups are a lot of people that just come and go. They seem very flighty and, you know, they, they come on, they ask a whole bunch of questions and boom, they're gone. Uh, whereas with the meetup groups, I've found that about half of the people that show up continually show up time and time again. The other half, they usually are the ones who just check in once, twice, and then they're gone, but that's okay. You stick with the people who keep showing up time and time again. Those are the people who are very serious about real estate, and those are where you get your connections. Because I think with real estate, there's three important things that you need to be very successful. You need either time, expertise, and money. But it's okay if you're lacking in one of those three things. So let's say you don't have much money, right? But you have a bunch of time, and let's say you have a bunch of expertise. Great. You can go find a partner who's got a self-directed IRA, who's got a whole life policy, whatever, is willing to invest in you, and you're all set. Or maybe you're the person with the money, but you don't have a whole lot of time. And so you can meet up at these real estate groups and find somebody who's got the time. Or find somebody who's got the expertise. If you just have, you know, let's say you're working a job and you don't have time, but you have the, you know, the money available you can find somebody who has a lot of expertise. I think that definitely for me, the more I think about it, it's the most successful investments I've made have been with people who've had the most experience. They have been the ones who have, with their flips, their projects, have made the most money. So I think going forward, I'll, I'll certainly pay more attention to experience there. So with that uh, you know, being said, does you know require you to get a little bit out of your comfort zone to be able to to go to the groups but it's something you got to do you got to get out there so that people get to start to know you i love that i totally agree with that and you know i'm somebody just to fill that out a little bit i started a meetup three i guess three years ago now it was monthly until COVID hit and then, yeah. <laughs> you know, that threw a wrench in the works, but yeah. I don't like going to meetups. So why yeah. the heck would I start yeah. one? Well, 
mm-hmm. you got to do what you're afraid of or what you don't want to do. And yep. by making mine, I got to make it the way I wanted to do it. And that made mm-hmm. it a little mm-hmm. more pleasant. But still, the fact remains that you got to get out there. You got to do it. You got to go to these things and sometimes suffer through a boring, boring pitch just so you can wait to talk to people at the end. But the networking has a lot of value in it. So I really love yeah. that. I, I end it. up having a lot of fun for me because it's not like I'm trying to go in and sell anything or sell anybody. So I don't feel any pressure on myself. I end up just going and shooting the shit with people and having, <laughs> having a good time. So I actually think that they're a lot of fun to, to attend. Good. Right now, we're going to take a quick break for our sponsor. All right, Enrique, I've got three questions I ask every guest on the show. Are you ready? You bet. All right, great. First one, what is the best investment you ever made other than in your education? Sure. The best investment was actually the very first apartment building, 13-unit apartment building that I bought. It was beat down, something fierce, and, and I put in a tremendous amount of work into it myself personally, but got it turned around. That has been now 15 years ago. And so 14 years ago, 14 years ago, and uh, I have refinanced that one after year two and got all my money back out of it. And then again, about every five years. And so that has, has been a huge, because I don't have <laughs> any, I mean, I didn't have any money into it after the, after the first two years. And so it's just on a monthly basis, it's throwing off money. And every five years, I've been able to refinance and pull more money back out. That's the beauty of refinancing, I think, is that you can continually, it's not just a one-time thing. No, you continually are able to, to refinance. And with investment properties, with multifamily properties, the valuation is based on the income. And so as the rents increase every year, and certainly they're going to increase every year with inflation, but in addition to that, every time somebody moves out, I get it fixed up a little bit nicer, a little bit nicer, a little bit nicer every single time. And so then I'm able to even stay ahead of the the market in that respect by raising rents even more. And so then what comes is I start refinancing. So I actually do five and one arms as a result on all my properties because of the fact that I know I'm not going to carry a loan to term. So I'm not uh, worried about holding on to a 30-year loan. Do the five years so I can get a better rate and refinance it every five years or less. Uh, So that that particular one project has been uh, my most successful. Nice. I love that. On the other side of that, we had the best investment. Now we go on to the worst investment. We might yeah. already know the answer to this yeah, question. Yeah, we've already touched on that one What is sure. the worst and investment you ever made? Up, and, up until just recently, when, when folks have asked me, oh, have I ever you know, regret anything? No, I haven't had any regrets, haven't had any investments that I've lost any money on. So that's been really good there. Certainly, I think it's a little bit easier with rentals than it is with flips because time is actually on your side with the rental market as far as then being able to kind of cushion you and and uh, chance of losing money is, is much less. Whereas on a flip, time is not on your side and you could potentially lose. But up until this most recent investment where it was an equity investment with a flipper who then ended up essentially not knowing what he's doing, cost overruns on everything, and he went, way above and beyond the 
the market with the improvements that he made. And so now the, the home, it's this, uh, he, he thinks it's $3.7 million. It, now the price has been dropped down after several months to $3.2 million. It'll probably sell for 2.9 is sure. what I think it'll actually really go for because of the fact that it's just degrading <laughs> and, and been on the market uh, for, for much too long. I think it's going to have to be fire sailed off. And that is where the point where I'm actually going to lose money, not make money off of it. So that's been, that is going to be my worst investment by far, because the only investment I've lost uh, money on, and it was a, a newbie, uh, somebody mm. who just had not been flipping before. So wow. that was the uh, mistake there. And he went big, you know, three point, uh, you know, over $3 million piece of property. Well, that's, that's a big, big property. Not something I could take down myself, which is why I just think, you know, I'm just going to be one of many investors. I am one of many investors on the project, but now we're all losing money on the project. Wow. That's painful. <laughs> that's a painful <laughs> one. Yeah. yeah. Now we're on to my favorite question here at the end of the show. What is the most important lesson that you've learned in business and investing? Oh, okay. It is going to be um, to, I think, diversify. So initially, I always heard about diversification when it comes to the stock market. Well, I think more importantly is diversify in every aspect of all your investments. And so it obviously weighted heavily on real estate, but I'm not 100% on real estate. I do still have some stock investments. And the type of real estate investments that I'm doing are several different avenues. So that is the biggest lesson that I think I've learned is that you should diversify to make sure that you have multiple streams of income coming in. I love that. I appreciate all the stories and lessons that you've brought to us today from your extensive experience investing in and managing real estate. For folks out there who want to get in touch with you, want to learn more, where can they find you? Yeah, so Enrique Jevons, you can find me on uh, Bigger Pockets as well as on my website, uh, jevonsproperties.com. So J E V O N S is my last name. So jevonsproperties.com, you can find me on Facebook as well. And I'm trying to get my kids to help me out on Instagram since that's not something I, do. <laughs> I haven't figured out. Uh, to me, it's, it's, well, they think it's the most boring thing in the world, real estate. So it's hard to get some talking, but uh, I, I suppose. <laughs> <laughs> once they're old enough to realize what real estate can pay for they might yeah. change their minds yeah they're still just 14 years old so, ah, so they don't know yet yeah <laughs> it's fine yep well i appreciate you joining us once again and bringing all these lessons to us i think private lending with tax advantage strategies is obviously i mean there are ways you can go wrong for sure but how can you go wrong those are two great advantages getting awesome returns by lending money privately and getting the tax advantages of self-directed IRAs and life insurance policies. I love it. Thanks for telling us about those lessons today to everybody out there. Thank you for tuning in. If you're enjoying the show, please leave us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. It's very much appreciated. It helps other people learn about the show. If you know anyone who could use a little bit more passive wealth in their lives, please share the show with them and bring them into the fold. Thanks for tuning in once again. We'll talk to you on the next one. Take care. Bye-bye.